If everybody wants to stand up, we're going to sing together a song, Build My Life. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.
from Texas, y'all. Glad to be to take a seat for a second. Uh, my name's Sal Sobrano with Bear Man Ministries. Wasn't that a delicious meal? Oh, my goodness. Boys, I don't know. You boys can eat up here. You can eat in Michigan, that's for sure. Well, stuff like this doesn't happen by accident. All you guys didn't get here by accident. And all this preparation didn't happen by accident. And I happen to know, because I've been working with the guy for a year trying to get the bear man here, that a lot of this is due to the passion and the drive and the desire and the dream of uh, Mr. Adam Gorleski. Where are you, Adam, so we can sufficiently embarrass you? Right there, yeah. Thank you, brother. So, yeah, we were scheduled to do this about a year ago, and uh, I think Jim got COVID, and and uh, thank God all that nonsense is over now, and we get to be with y'all. So one of the questions we always get, no matter where we go, is, are you real cowboys? And I, I'm gonna I was raised in San Antonio, Texas, home of the Alamo, uh, birthplace of Texas. Uh, then they want to know, do you ride horses? I'm from Texas. Yeah, we ride horses. I've been riding horses for years. In fact, last week, uh, I'm just really thankful to God that I'm here because I was riding this old horse. I've been riding this old girl probably, I don't know, 100, 125 times. And I was out riding her, and I don't know what happened. Maybe she just got tired of me riding her, or maybe she got a burr under her saddle, or she got spooked. And all of a sudden, she just, in the middle of a nice lope, started bucking me and, and kind of surprised me because she'd never done that before. And I didn't saddle the horse, and whoever saddled it didn't cinch it down good enough. Saddle starts going off to the left. I didn't have nice boots on like I had now. I got those square toe ones like y'all like to wear, which do not come out of stirrups very easily. And so I'm going to the left, and I'm thinking, this isn't good, because this saddle is going to flip me down underneath. I can't get it. I'm going to get trampled by this horse. I don't know. I'm not 27 years old anymore, and I didn't think I was going to make it. I was literally afraid for my life because the horse started galloping. It's bucking. The saddle's coming off. I'm hanging on. I'm praying like crazy. God, please save me. Don't let me die like this. I'm going underneath this thing. I'm slipping off. And if it wasn't for that lady that came out of Walmart and unplugged that thing, I would not be here today. <laughs> so, yeah, we ride horses. We're all cowboys there. And thank you for being here this evening, no matter who you are and what you do. You're here because you're a man. And every man that I know needs other, man, other men to be in their lives so that we can become what God wants us to be because every one of us in this room has a bear. Now, it may not be the story of this 850-pound grizzly that you're going to hear in a moment that nearly ate my friend alive, but it's a bear that's inside of us. And whether it's an addiction, whether it's drinking, drugs, alcohol, pornography, women greed, whatever it is. We got them. And they always make us feel shameful. They always tell us we're powerless. And they always tell us you're not going to be everything that you tell people that you are. And you go no further than this. I have good news for you tonight. That bear is the door to God's grace and the door of victory for you. So whatever your bear is tonight, listen to this story. And in this story, you're going to find the way of escape from the bear. You can not only survive the bear, you can overcome whatever your bear is. Now, behind me, you'll see some addresses. If you do Facebook or at least I know you're on the Internet, you can go to our website. If you like hunting videos, 
Jim's done a, a, some great little mini movies about some of his hunts. There's Bible studies with those. You want to start a men's group, you want to use the film as a reason for guys to get together. We also have six, six to eight week Bible studies based on those films, absolutely free. We just love for you all to, to gather around the Bible and as men discuss the issues that men face. You'll, there's redemption that's on there right now about Jim going back and, and getting a brown bear and what redemption means in our lives. And then coming uh, very soon, in fact, next month, overcoming uh, about a hunt they had in Tajikistan and the Bible studies to go with that and how to overcome the things that are trying to overcome us. And once again, thank you for having us. Thank you for feeding us so well. Thank you for turning out tonight. And thank God for what he's going to do in our lives. Would you join me in a word of prayer? We pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this night. Thank you for my brothers, new friends that have come out tonight. And I pray this night that whatever bear that they are facing would be overcome through the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. When Jim comes up here and shares his story, may we all relate to it, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. The word says, for the spirit of heaviness on the garment of praise that's how we fight our battles this is how I fight my 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 How you doing? So I figured out the secret of how to do these um, sporting events. You start with desserts and you go backwards. Because I saw what you guys did to that dessert table, and I'm glad I started first. Uh, this afternoon we were with uh, Adam Gorleski, and he was like freaking out that he wouldn't have enough food. And you all start pouring in. We see the line, and you start tweaking them. You know how guys do, and you just start rooting them a little bit. But man, great job. How about, you know, to the ladies who set all this stuff up? That was unbelievable. You know, I also want to have a special thanks for Pastor Jeff and Jonathan and, and Dan. Um, yeah, I met Adam, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago at a, a little event we did in Saginaw, Michigan. And that's how our testimony spreads is one person tells another. But the bottom line is, is that these three pastors have to take a step forward in bold faith to invite somebody in that they may or probably have not seen before, right? And you think that that's a no-brainer, but it is 
It does require a lot of thought, and it requires a lot of boldness, and it requires a lot of faith. And I want to thank you three gentlemen for listening to Adam. Adam, I want to thank you for for recommending us and bringing us out. I mean, we did 50, 54 bear man testimonies across this beautiful country last year. <clears throat> we don't advertise. Um, we just go where we're called. And for whatever reason or no reason at all, the Lord just sends us. Um, my favorite scripture is Isaiah 6, 8. And the Lord said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That's the, that's the only reason we go. So much so that I looked down at my boot today and I was putting it on. I got a hole in my boot and I only wear these suckers when I do bear man, so I must be doing something right. But we're going to have a good time tonight. How many of you um, uh, uh, use Facebook and Instagram? Oh, fantastic. <clears throat> Connect with us. As Pastor Sell said, we'd, we'd love to have you follow us. Um, we do some great posts on there. One of the reasons that our Facebook page trends really well is I'm a big fan of self-deprecation. Um, as you'll hear through my story tonight, um, I've lived a life uh, that I wouldn't want any of our children to grow up living. And as I grow older, I tell the stories on myself, and you would be surprised how many folks are able to see that in themselves. Because when we go someplace... Most of the time that all we do as men is we want to <clears throat> we want to put ourselves up and have the best image portrayed. And I'll give you a great example. This one's for free. My wife and I are getting ready to go to dinner several years ago. And before we go out to dinner, <clears throat> of course, I mean, we got in an argument of which that's code for I probably said something really stupid, right? And we're arguing in the house and we're arguing in the car and we got to pick up this couple so you know how you're arguing in the car there and you get to somebody's house, you're like, oh, hey, man, great to see you, right? And we get in the car and they're, they're in the back seat. You know, they, they've been married for a while and they're just, you know, oh, I love you, I love you too. And my wife's like, you see, you see. I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever, just driving. Get home, a few months go by. And the couple in the back seat ended up getting separated and they got divorced. And the bottom line is that as men... We really, very rarely let anybody see underneath the surface. And one of the most healing things that I have found for myself personally, and it's tough, but making myself vulnerable, because when I meet people, and it doesn't matter to me if I've known you for 10 years or five years or even with Adam, who I just got to meet righteously today, man, that's how we learn. And I want to encourage every one of you just to just to put it out there because what I, will t- what I have found is that if I'm struggling with something and I have the ability to lay it out there, there's usually another guy that's like, hey, man, I'm really glad you brought that up. Can we talk about that, right? Because the road that I've been down, maybe he's going down. <clears throat> or maybe he's going down a road, had been down a road that I'm about ready to go down. So for whatever that's worth... I have found, and I call it self-deprecation, but when I tell on myself those stories that you will find on Facebook and Instagram is that men gravitate towards those, and I get more messages from the side on the, on the messenger saying, hey, man, can we talk about this? And that's how we grow spiritually. It really helps me grow. Anyways, how many people in the room are hunters? All right. How many people in this room are archers? Archery hunters. Oh, awesome. 
Uh, what we're going to do today is, I, 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 you know, you plan these big trips out. And one thing about archery hunting is, <clears throat> obviously, you live in the great state of Michigan. you got some incredible whitetails here. But I also love hunting in different parts of the globe uh, for different animals. On this particular hunt, I wanted to go after moose, right? And, I, when, and I, I'm like you guys. When you go after moose, I want to go after... I want to have put myself in the best opportunity to harvest the biggest moose, so I do a lot of research. Where can I find it? Run the process, run the metrics, run the calculations. How much is it going to cost? How much do I need to save? All those things. Plan these things out two, two and a half years in advance. And what I found is you can either hunt Alaska or you can hunt Canada. In between Alaska and Canada, you've got the, uh, uh, the McKinsey Mountain Range. And if you hunt the west side of the McKinsey Mountain Range, you're in Alaska. If you hunt the east side, you're in Canada, specifically the Northwest Territories of Canada. And on this particular hunt, I chose the Northwest Territories of Canada to have an opportunity for an archery hunt, one of the largest bull moose uh, locations um, in North America. So you pack your bags, you get all ready, you plan these things out two and a half years in advance, you get everything going. How many people in this room have... Uh, have daughters. <clears throat> oh, perfect. My bags are back, packed. They're by the back door. I'm getting ready to walk out the door, say goodbye for whatever it was, 18, 20 days, and my daughter comes running up to me. And she's like, Dad, Dad, I got good news for you. The beauty salon is open. It's located in the kitchen. Would you like to have a pedicure? Right? And you, we got that slide? And, and, and when your daughter asks you, Dad, do you want to have a pedicure? What are you going to say? Yeah, set me down. There I am. I'm getting my toes painted. They're like burnt orange, right? Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to the Northwest Territories of Canada. Who is ever going to see my toes, right? So y'all remember this screen. Let this screen, yeah, be careful what your daughter does to you before you go hunting. Let this screen burn into your minds. When I went on this hunt, I lived in Houston, Texas. And to get from Houston, Texas up to the Northwest Territories of Canada, it's a little bit of a trek. You start off in Houston, you go from Houston to Edmonton, Edmonton to Yellowknife, and the cities are going, duke, 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 get smaller and smaller. Yellowknife to Norman Wells. In Norman Wells, you jump on a float plane. On this float plane are six other guys. They're all rifle hunters. I'm the only, uh, I'm the only archer. And I just kind of sat in the back of the plane, and, you know, he takes off right off that lake and <clears throat> takes off, and you're flying... Right over the, right over that, that, those mountains, that mountain range. And it just looks like you're about ready to skim the top of the mountains, but you know, I'm sure it's safe. You see the shadow of the plane just zoof, go right over the top of the mountain. Then you come to these huge valleys and we're in the air probably two, two and a half hours. And you look out the, look out the left side of the plane and all of a sudden he just starts banking. And I'm like, wow, where, where are we going to land this thing? And you look down and there is a, a tank, a pond, I wouldn't call it a lake. It's about the size of a football field. And he takes that float plane and he just gently lands it right on this tiny little postage stamp of water and parallel parks it. Didn't know you could do that, but parallel parked that float plane right up against the bank. The door opens up. I grab my gear. I'm the first one out. And man, they're in your ear in a heartbeat. There's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of uh, small talk, not a lot of welcome, how you doing talk. My guide's in my ear immediately. My name is Jordan Wagner. We need to get your backpack packed. We're going to be out for 7 to 10 days. If you don't see anything in 7 to 10 days, we're going to come back, repack, go back out. I'm like, okay. He says, you need to throw a couple arrows. We've got a target set up over here. I need to grab a tent, grab a rifle, and we need to grab a bunch of provisions 
out of the uh, uh, steel uh, bin. This, if we walk in the steel bin, it's like a just this giant food cornucopia, right? And all over there's canned foods and, 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 and proteins and, and, and MREs and candy bars, everything you could possibly imagine. And I told Jordan, I said, man, you, I'll tell you what, you just grab all the food. I'm going to go knock out, get my stuff packed up, sight in my bow. We'll meet in the middle because what they do is they call your name off. There's seven of us hunting total. When they call your name off, you got to jump on the helicopter, and the helicopter takes you out. The owner of the outfit, he takes you out. His name is Stan. And if you miss your name, they're unforgiving. The next man goes, and you go to the bottom. And if you go to the bottom, there's a high probability you're not going out that day, so you miss a whole day of hunting because you got to spend the night in camp. So we're in this food cornucopia, and, and, and Jordan, I said, Jordan, you pick out all the food. I'm going to go take care of, of, of my stuff. He says, that's no problem. Is there any candy bars you don't like? I said, no, I'm a sugarholic. You're good there. Any carbohydrates you don't like? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a carbohydrate-holic as well. He says, perfect. And then for proteins, I'm going to grab a bunch of sardines. And I was like, well, doop, doop. time out. I, I said, you got any other kind of protein? Because I can't eat those little suckers. He says, well, you got your choice of uh, sardines or you got a choice of tuna fish. Which one you want? I said, dude, just load me up on the tuna fish. He's like, you got it. So we get our stuff ready to go, and all of a sudden they call off Van Steenhouse. We jump on this helicopter. All of our bags are, you know, scattered all over. The, it's not a, when you think helicopter, y'all got to think this is not this is not Donald Trump. Okay, this is like the Magnum PI helicopter. Okay, so let's get our perspective in line here. So we got our gear in this thing, and he's he's flying around for probably in the air for an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, and he sets this helicopter down on the oxbow. <clears throat> of a river bend. We throw all our gear down and as the helicopter's taking off, we got the back the rotor wash and we got our heads down and that, that helicopter takes off and I'm looking down and when I looking at the ground, I'm looking at a paw print about that big. And as I'm looking at this thing, I'm like, uh, hey uh, Jordan, hey, uh, come here a minute, is that is that a grizzly print? He comes running over, he looks at it, and he says, uh, yes sir, we're gonna stay away from those. I was like, man, Roger that. So we set up camp, pulling out of all up, pulling out all of our gear, getting it lined up. <clears throat> and I very rarely tell folks this story, but I'll, I'll share with you guys tonight. I'm a little OCD. And when I, when I go hunting, I just I line up all my stuff, check it like 25 times. I don't know why, just I do. <clears throat> and, I, and he did get me tuna fish. He did do a good job at tuna fish. And I laid out four cans of pop-top tuna. The other six were traditionally, you need a can opener. I said, hey, Jordan, uh, do you see this pack list? He says, yeah, we send that to you a couple months before you come out here. I said, yeah, do you see anywhere on this pack list where it says can opener? He's like, no, there's, there's not a can opener on there. I said, well, do you have a can opener? He says, I don't have a can opener. I said, well, how am I supposed to set up my tuna fish? He says, I don't know, I got sardines. That's, that's, that's not my problem. We got, we got four days to figure it out. <clears throat> I'm like, okay, I see how this is going to be. So, you know, you, you get a good night's sleep, and what you're doing, gentlemen, is you're spotting stalking, right? You, you, you'll climb up the mountains, you'll find a good spot, you'll, you'll just sit down, and you'll glass all day. <clears throat> you're really looking for cows, because if you, if you can find the cows, they're coming into season, they'll attract the bulls. Or if you're lucky enough, just find a bull. And when you find something you like, then you start stalking it, so spot and stalk. So we're up there on the second day, and on the picture that you'll see is you got a river right here, and on the other side of that river, Jordan's, he spots a grizzly bear. 
Now, this is, to me, it's like a mile, mile and a half away. It's like a speck in my binoculars. And we had a, a cow moose in this, this draw in front of us in the pine trees, which is great. He says, I'm going to keep my eye on that grizzly bear. I'm going to see if any bulls come up to this cow. You go glass to the other side of this knob, and I'll call you if I need you. I'm like, man, perfect. So I go around the other side, and I'm just sitting there glassing. <clears throat> Probably about an hour, hour and a half later, I hear Van Steenhouse get over here. I, man, I grab my bow. I'm thinking, it's go time. I run over there, and he's like, look, man, that cow just come busting out of this draw, and I don't see that grizzly anymore. And then all of a sudden, no sooner did he see that, zoop, right up on that knob, that grizzly just comes up about 70 yards off, and he's just sitting there on all fours. And when they come up, they just stare at you, and they'll rock their head back and forth, kind of going like this. Guys, I got a bow in my hand. I'm six foot four, 240 pounds. I'm like, uh, what are we doing here? And Jordan is standing right here to my left. And he's carrying a 44 lever action, not the biggest rifle you'd like to have. He says, brother, if that bear takes a step forward, I'm putting one right in the dirt right in front of his face. And no sooner did he say that, that grizzly just, doo, just started walking with authority. And Jordan, shoo, he slams one, he's right-handed, he just, wham, he just puts one, that dirt just exploded right in front of that bear's face. And then he charged. I mean, 70 became 60, became 50, became 40, became 35. Right around 30, 35 yards, Jordan throws another one in that lever action and hammered that grizzly right in the side. It was so close. You could just hear that bullet just thwack right in the side. And that grizzly lets out a huge groan and spins around and goes barreling off into the willows. And I am standing there. Jordan is right to my left. I'm shaking like a leaf. And then it, all of a sudden it dawns on you. It's amazing how, as men, or maybe I won't put you guys into this category. You're a lot smarter than I am. How when I go places, I think that I, I somehow, when I pack up and I leave my home, and my security in my system, and in the, in, the, in the police and the firemen and all those things. I think that when I leave somewhere, I just put them in my backpack and take them with me. And what I realized after that incident is you don't take any of that stuff with you. When you leave and you're out there in the McKinsey Mountain Range, you are no longer the alpha. And it's interesting as a man, when that sinks in, when you, when you are standing on a location where there isn't help and for hundreds of miles away and you realize and that is sinking feeling, you're like, man, this could really be problematic if something goes wrong. It is a feeling that instantly changes your mindset. So we came down off the mountain that day and on the third day, <clears throat> we hiked probably two, two and a half miles away. Uh, we didn't want to go back where that rifle report was at. <clears throat> and I don't know about you guys, but I, I get a little bored fast. Do y'all get any problem with boredom? Poster child for Ritalin, Ritalin ADD? Man, okay. Either y'all just have attention spans like nobody I've ever seen, or y'all liars. I don't know. But anyways, <clears throat> so I'm out there, and I got my satellite phone. You can see this thing. It's behind my left leg. And I'm not one of those guys that likes to read directions. If directions comes with pictures, I'm all in. If it comes with a bunch of words, um, I, I don't go there. And if it comes in like 25 different languages in, in, in bound book form, I'm absolutely not interested. 
I'm the guy that builds that bicycle for the kids and all those parts that are left over. Well, them just extras in case you break something, right? And I realized out there when I was fiddle farting around with a satellite phone, I could get my longitude, my latitude, my altitude. This thing was an amazing piece of equipment. I had no clue it could do all these things. I realized I could even text message my wife and my children. This thing was amazing. And it was just one of those days where y'all have been hunting and you didn't see anything, but it was just a perfect day in the woods. And you just hear all everything that, 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 that nature's got to offer you. And you're sitting there and you're just kind of goofing around with things. And you're having a great time with your guide. It doesn't matter if you see a bunch of animals or you have an opportunity to harvest something. It was just a perfect day. And the sun starts to set. And Jordan's like, look, we better, we better head back to camp. We got, we got a couple miles ahead of us. I'm like, no problem. So I put my stuff in my backpack and I start moseying down the mountain and Jordan starts to jog. This is how I'm dressed. I just didn't leave your, you know, lifetime fitness. He starts jogging. And after about 50 yards, I grab him by the back of the neck. I turn around. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Why are we running? And he looks at me and says, Van Steenhouse, when that sun goes down, you and I are low man on the totem pole. I did not have trouble running back to camp. You know, that night, it was one of those evenings, and if, if any of you are camping enthusiasts or have been in the mountains, some nights, are just, some nights there are just really, really hard freezes, and this was one of those nights. I had a water bottle inside of a sock inside of my boot, and the water in that bottle in my sock in my boot froze. And I woke up the next morning, and we had a big uphill climb, and silly enough, I, just, I, put on, I was freezing at camp, and I put on every article of clothing that I owned. I looked like the Michelin Man. And we're climbing up. We probably got up about six, seven hundred feet. And, I, and it's when, when you overdress at base and you climb, all of a sudden you just start sweating profusely. And one of the things, you know, one of my common mishaps is that when, when I suffer, I like everybody around me to know that I'm suffering. Because I think that if I'm suffering and you don't know that I'm suffering, then that's just not fair. I want everybody to know that I'm suffering. So I'm probably seven, eight hundred feet up on this hike with Jordan, my guy, and he's a half goat, so he doesn't get tired. And I, I'm just, you know, I'm letting him know that I'm sweating and tired in, in, in only ways that men can understand that can't be repeated in this building. And we get to this ledge, we, you know, base camp, we climb up seven, 800 feet, and we get to this ledge. We got, we're climbing up this finger to the top, and we get to this ledge right here. It's a nice ledge, maybe, I don't know, 50, 60 yards across the top of this ledge before you go back up to the top of this finger. And we get up there, and Jordan spins around at me, and he looks. He's like, man, we got three, three or four more hundred feet to get to the top. Can you get to the top? I'm like, man, I can get to the top. He says, look, here's the deal. Let's just drop our packs, shed a couple layers of clothes, grab your bow, grab your binoculars. I'll grab the rifle. I'll grab my binos, and let's head up. We'll be right back. Man, you didn't have to ask me twice, man. I was shedding my clothes, throwing them down there, grab, grab my bow, left my backpack, grabbed my binoculars, and he and I went up. And we sit down, and it's just one of those incredible days. We're just sitting on, sitting on the ground. And I had reminded Jordan on the first day that after I ate my can of tuna fish, that I only had three left. And then on the second day, I reminded Jordan that I had two cans left after I consumed that pop-top. 
On the third day, I reminded them again. And what I love about 20-year-olds is that once you get under their skin, all you got to do is twist it, right? And he would just get so agitated every time I would remind him. And if it wouldn't have bothered him, I wouldn't have brought it up. But since it bothered him, I love bringing it up, right? I'm just that kind of guy. And we're sitting there and on, the, on that fourth day, and I'm sitting here, and he's just right to my left. He's sitting right here to my left. And he's glassing, and I'm glassing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I remembered, you know, today is day four. I'm fixing to open up my very last can of pop-top tuna fish, which creates a real problem for us, for me, tomorrow. And I drop my glasses, and I'm getting ready to ask him this question. And I said, Jordan, he's got his binos out. I said, do you know what day it is? And he knew it was coming. You could just see the exasperation on his face. He's like, oh. And he looked at me, and he said one word. He said, bear. And you know, it's interesting. There's a great quote. It says, if you don't run into the devil from time to time, you may have to question if you're running in the same direction. And before I tell you what that one word meant, bear. I want to explain to you how these animals operate. You know, this isn't, this isn't like taking your kids to the Detroit Zoo where you're giving boo-boo a cracker. Right? A lot of people there are just like, what's the big deal, man? I went down to the Detroit Zoo, man. I gave him a cracker. Man, well, what's the problem, man? Just give him a cracker. This ain't, this ain't boo-boo. These bears, they don't have the ability to cognitively think about how much effort they have to put forth on their prey, whether it's a rabbit, a sheep, a moose, it doesn't matter. If you and I were to get in a scuffle, you could look at me and say, man, it'd take me about 40% of my effort to get ahead, get, 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 a, get a jump on a tub like me. And then at, during our scuffle, if you, had to, if you said, man, 30% is going to do it, you could go down to 30. Or if you need to exert 50 or 55, you could immediately do that based on your conscientious effort. It's like as, as fathers, when we wrestle with our sons, right? When they're five years old, we can get them with one arm. When they're 10 years old, we got to use two. When they're, when they're 13 years old, we got to exert more force. And when they're 15, man, we're breaking sheetrock. You understand the, 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 the way that it goes. But bears don't have that capability. It's all on or all off. They do not have the ability to think through that process. And what I have here are two grizzlies sizing each other up. And what I want you to pay attention to is when they realize that they've had enough of sizing each other up and what that looks like when they come at each other. Check out the screen. Sizing each other up right here. He's going to come out right there. That's how they fight. They don't, they, they don't think about how much effort they want to put forth because it's 100%. It's 100% all the time. And if you want to know what a grizzly bear looks like in the Northwest Territories of Canada, well, here's a paw. They're protected. Gentlemen, they've never been hunted. They're a spiritual animal. The Inuits. They have no fear of man. They have no fear of a rifle. Matter of fact, a rifle to them is a dinner bell. 
Do you know why? Because when they hear a rifle report and then they follow it, what do they find on the other side of it? A carcass. So they think that when they hear a loud crack, that there's like magically some skinned out moose or sheep. It's like this magic noise. And they go and they find this ton of animals sitting there. So it's a dinner bell to them. They can smell food from over two miles away. They can get up to speeds of 35 to 37 miles an hour in short distances. They smell 2,100 times better than you and I do. And they can bite with enough pressure to crush a bowling ball. They are the alpha. They are the alpha. When Jordan, who is to my left, said bear, he wasn't looking at me. He was looking straight through me. And I just instinctively, as we're sitting there, I just followed his gaze to where he was looking. And I just turned my head around slowly. And right at my 4 o'clock, right here, was a mature boar grizzly bear. People ask me all the time, why didn't you hear him coming? Man, that's what they do. <laughs> that's what they do. He's standing there, and he, they, they, he'll rock his head back and forth. And they'll, 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 they'll curl their lips, and they put out a low grunt sound, just kind of a, you know, snap their teeth. And I look back at this bear, and I, I just instinctively look back at Jordan. He had that 44 lever action right in between us. He's right-handed, and had he grabbed it, man, I would have just laid back, let him roll thunder right over me. But it was quick. I look at that bear. I look back at Jordan. He hadn't moved. And when I look back at that bear, boom, he lunged. People ask me all the time, what were you thinking? I'll be honest with you, I wasn't thinking a lot. I thought about my wife. I thought about my daughter. I have two sons. I don't know why I didn't think about them. I guess they're on their own. I remember distinctly thinking, Lord, have me. Here I come. Because in my mind, there was absolutely no way that I was going to survive that. There was no way. I'll never forget his eyes. It looked as if I was just staring straight into the eyes of the devil. And I'll never forget the way that he smelled. He just smelled like death. When he lunged, I just instinctively rolled my shoulder away from him, put my hands over my head, which was the first thing that he went for. You know, when the canines rip into your skull, you don't hear that externally. You hear that internally. As my hands got caught up in his mouth and started breaking like twigs, that you hear externally. It hit my right shoulder, left shoulder, right side, left side, right hip, left thigh, right calf. And then all of a sudden... All the pandemonium, everything just instantly stopped. And I'm laying with my face just firmly planted against the ground. I'm just pressing my face into the ground as hard as I can. And I'm thinking to myself, this is amazing. Nothing hurts. 
and I open my eyes, and right out of my left eye, I can see that bear's nostrils right there. I just, I just bury my face in the ground. I, he is so close. I can hear the air go in his nostrils, and I can feel it come out. And I don't know how long he stood there and how long I had my face planted in the ground. But at some point, he just took a step to the right, and he would look back. And he would take another couple of steps, and then he would look back. I had no idea where I was when the accident happened. I'm up on a knob above the willows. Now I'm like half, half dragged into the pine trees, which is what they do. They, they take you, then they'll, they'll bury you. Then when you soften up, they'll come back and they'll eat you. And I, 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 had nowhere to, I, I didn't know what to do. The bear's probably nine or ten yards away. I didn't know whether to, to just lay there or, or go up the mountain. And, and you're, you're just trying to, trying to process what the heck just happened. It's raining outside. And I get to my knees and I want to wipe the rain off my face. And I pull up my hand to wipe my face off. And I'm looking and my fingers are going in directions that I had never seen before. And I was like, oh, threw that hand down. And I pull up my left hand and it was even worse. And I wiped, went to wipe my face with my forearm and I realized it wasn't it wasn't rain at all it was blood and I just at this time I just I looked down at myself and the green moss was turning red and I looked down at my clothes my camouflage clothing and it looked like I just gotten in a fight with Edward, Edward Scissor's hands I mean it's just it's shredded everything is shredded and you can just see that your camouflage right before your eyes just start turning red. Everything's just turning red. And you got, you got these tears coming out of your clothing. You just see the tears just kind of wick away, wick that blood out. That at the end of the tear, there's nowhere else for it to go. And it just starts dripping. And it's just everything on me that was camouflaged is now just turning red. And it, everything is turning red. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, what am I going to do? And I just start stumbling up that mountain. And I'm screaming Jordan's name. I had no idea where he was. I lost, I, I didn't even pay attention to where the bear was. I just started, you know, crawling up the mountain and then walking up the mountain. And in my mind, I think I was running as fast as I could possibly run up the mountain. I, I don't know what that means, but I was just going up as fast as I could. And I'm yelling Jordan's name, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. All I wanted to hear was my name being repeated back. I'm yelling Jordan. Finally, I hear Jim. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, yes. We're getting closer. He's Jim, Jordan, Jordan, Jim, 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 Jordan. And all I wanted to do is get close enough to ask him. Is my head okay? I didn't know if it was, I couldn't feel it. My hands were all messed up. Is my head, I didn't know if my head was dented, damaged, like half gone. I had no idea. And just when I got close enough to ask Jordan, is my head okay? He looks at me and goes, holy, mm. fill in the blank. And then I was petrified. You see, we not only had to get all the way back up to where that accident happened. We had to go all the way back down where we left our gear because we were going to be right back. I mean, guys, I'll share one thing with you. I mean, there, there's a lot of hunters in the room. I saw the hands go up. I don't care how tired you are. I don't care how hot you are, how heavy your gear is. You packed it. Never drop it. Never drop your gear. We had to go all the way back up. And I remember we got back down to the backpacks, and I just collapsed on my backpack. And I'm just laying there, and I can feel, I can just feel the blood running down the back of my neck. 
and we're over my back, and I can see it just kind of dripping out the sides and out the sides of my pants. And I'm just laying there, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I just, I can't believe this happened. And Jordan had what's called the, you know, the inreach system, right? Y'all, you know, some of you probably carry those when you hunt. Man, he would test this system every morning, mid-morning, afternoon, mid-afternoon, and evening. Tested it all the time. And he pulled that thing out, fired it up to let base camp know that we had an emergency. And I don't know, I don't know if it was the Indian or the arrow. It doesn't matter. It just wouldn't work or wasn't working fast enough. And he was getting very frustrated. I said, Jordan, grab my, my satellite phone out of my backpack. I didn't read the directions, but there's a red button on top. I believe that's the SOS button. Fire it up and push it. I think they'll send the Navy SEALs. <laughs> and it's funny you laugh because we actually did share a chuckle. You can laugh in, in really bad times. Man, he fired that he fired that, that satellite phone up, popped the top off, hit that red button, and we sat there and about fifteen seconds later we get a text message. It said, Dear Iridian user, in order to use the SOS feature on your satellite phone, you must first pre register. It's a free service but required before it'll work. <laughs> Read the directions. I said, Jordan. You're going to need to call my wife. From the McKinsey Mountain Range in the Northwest Territories of Canada, Jordan calls my wife, Elizabeth. She is in Houston, Texas, in the parking lot of a grocery store. She picks up. Miss Fanstinos, my name is Jordan Wagner. Your husband has been attacked by a grizzly bear. I need you to write down her longitude and latitude as quickly as possible. And then the phone cut off. The emergency system did work. They plugged themselves in. Jordan gave them the longitude and latitude as well. Unbeknownst to us, the ceiling was too low for the Coast Guard to get out. But the Coast Guard got a hold of our base camp and told Stan, if there's any, if I'm going to get off that mountain, he's going to have to come get me. And we waited. We waited. I don't know how long we waited. It felt like a really long time. And you could hear that helicopter coming from miles away, just foo, 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 foo. And you're like, oh, yes, 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 yes. Shoot, 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 shoot. And we're up probably eight, 900 feet, and the shoot, shoot's down on the river. You're like, yes, 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 yes. I see it coming out of the canyon. Shoot, 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 shoot. And it follows the river, and it's going below us, and it's going past. It's like, no, 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 no. Shoot, shoot, shoot. It's gone. It's like, oh my gosh, what happened? And then foof, 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 comes back, comes back. Then it's, you know, off this ledge in front of us. Shoot, goes, we can't see it. It's right in front of us. Shoot, 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 goes around the mountain the other way. I'm like, oh my gosh. How can they not find us? Jordan has this burlap sack looking thing in hand. He's waving it frantically. And you can hear the helicopter flying around just wondering where we are. And then all of a sudden they're over the edge and I can hear out front. And all of a sudden just shoot, he levitates right in front of us. And I am staring Stan, the pilot, straight in the eyes. And he takes that helicopter and he just sets it right on that mountain. And out of that helicopter jumped two guides and a doctor, Dr. Bob Burlingame. Dr. Bob Burlingame was one of the seven of us hunters, the rifle hunter, and he had shot a moose on the second day. He was back at base camp. He's an eye surgeon. And when he found out there was an emergency, he obviously put himself into doctor mode, went on the helicopter to come out there and render me aid. And I'll never forget that in my mind, they came running over and he's asking me all these questions. And in my mind, I'm answering his questions. And he looked at the guys and he says, he's completely non-responsive. I was in shock. 
They took two backpacks, laid them out with the straps up, laid me on the, laid me on the backpack, picked the straps up for the four guys, and slid me into the back of the helicopter sideways. They left the two guys behind. Dr. Bob Burlingame got in the front of the helicopter with the pilot, and they lifted off, and they took me back to base camp. In a base camp, I remember I was looking out the window, and I was, I'm looking at... I'm looking at a group of women over here and a group of men over there, and they're in their own little huddles. And I just remember I'm looking down at my clothing. I'm sitting sideways in the back of this helicopter, and I just and you know, my, my clothing is shredded. It's completely red by now. And you and you can see because I'm sitting sideways where my hip is indented on the seat, and you can feel the blood coming, still coming down my back, out of my thighs, where the indention is by my hip. All the blood seems to gather here. But when it gets to the top of the, 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 back, the front of the seat, there's nowhere for it to go, so it just starts dripping over the top of the seat. And I'm just, just sitting there in the back of the helicopter, just watching the blood drip over the top of the seat and just go on the ground. I'm just watching the, just the pool of blood just slowly get bigger and bigger. And Stan jumps in that helicopter, and he lifts off. And he goes to the, you know, the mountains, they come together at this river, and he just starts flying down this river. Now, when we came in, we came in on the float plane over the mountains. He couldn't take the helicopter back that way because the ceiling was too low. He had to follow the river out, a river that he's never been down before that he knows it comes out in Norman Wells. You don't fly when there's a low ceiling, but he had to fly to save my life. He's got this helicopter, and it just felt, I mean, in the back of this helicopter, it just felt like he was screaming down this river, and it looked like he was just this far above the river. I'm sure it was safe because he's a safe pilot, but it looked like we were dangerously close. And you went in, and he would bank around one of those corners. You could just feel your whole body just kind of push into the back of the seat or almost push off the seat, or he'd tilt this way or tilt that way. You're just screaming down this river, and I'm looking out the windows, and there's jagged rock and snow, and everything outside that helicopter just looked like he wanted to grab it and smash it on the ground. I was scared. I was freezing. I'll never forget, I was so cold in the back of that helicopter. And I'm just looking down and I'm watching that pool of my blood just get bigger and bigger on the floor. And then I would pass out. I would come to. And I would lose consciousness. And then come to. And when I came conscious, I was looking out that window. And I asked myself, I said, if I die right here in the back of this helicopter. If I close my eyes in the back of this helicopter and I never open them again, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? Gentlemen, that question becomes real, real, real fast. When you don't know if you close your eyes, you'll ever open them again. If I told everybody in this room, close your eyes, I'm going to count to five, and 50% of you will open your eyes, 50% of you never will again. That question will become real, real fast. I panicked. I panicked in the back of the helicopter. I was 48 years old. 
And I absolutely panicked. I knew the answer. All my life, all I've ever done was worry about me. All my life, the only thing people ever told me is I was a slave to selfishness. And I wasn't ashamed of it. I could blame my parents. I was a professional at blaming everybody else. When somebody told me that I had a problem, I was just like Teflon. I could deflect that problem and blame anybody that I could possibly hang on. Anything that was wrong with me, I could hang it on somebody else as I just proceeded down my path of selfishness. I grew up in a household where I had a mother where, 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 where nothing was ever good enough. And I had a father where, where, where the work was never done. And all my life, I just remember, I would do things and do things. I'd turn around and be like, is this okay? Is this okay? No, that's not good. And I'd go back and I'd do more and more. And then you get older and older and older. And what does more mean? More means that you're taking everything that you've got and trying to fill this abyss to get approval that you're never going to get. And I just kept hurting people, filling, trying to fill the abyss with anything I could possibly put in it to get this phantom approval that I was never going to get. And it didn't matter whose face I had to step on to get it. It didn't matter how much you got, it was never good enough. Because the bar just kept getting higher and higher and higher. It's called an abyss for a reason, because there is no bottom. And that was my life. Multiple marriages. Multiple divorces, adultery, multiple abortions, alcohol, drugs, severe drug problem, rehabilitation. I'm 48 years old. I'm sitting in the back of the helicopter. And that's what I'm looking at. That's my life. For the first time in my life, I felt the Holy Spirit come over me at the back of the helicopter. I said, you accepted Jesus Christ when you were in the third grade. That is a true statement. In a tiny town of Wisner, Michigan, where I grew up on a farm, rotation crop farm, Wisner United Methodist Church. I can still smell the smell of that basement with that curtain surrounding the table with the other kids in my grade. I can't remember. I can't remember the exact day. I don't remember. I remember there was a, it was the third grade. You're down there. I remember the room. I know the location. I remember the table. I remember the smells. I remember where I would always used to sit. And just, I, I remember all of it. And from the time I was in the third grade to the time I was 48 years old, I've done nothing. And at the peak of my panic, at the peak of my panic, when I think if I'm closing my eyes, I'm going direct to hell. The Holy Spirit says, Jesus Christ died for you. Your sins of the past, your sins of the day, and your sins of the future. Not because you deserve it. It's because of his grace. Because of his grace. At the peak of my panic, I've done nothing. Absolutely nothing. Imagine. Imagine a friend that you have had for 48 years of your life, and you were childhood friends. And you've, you, 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 you reach out to them after they've, after they've treated you abysmally bad and done nothing to honor you for, for 38 years. 
And then they call you in a time of need. And what are you going to say to them? At the peak of my panic, when I got nothing, Jesus says, man, I got you. I got you. I died on that cross for you and you and you and you and all of you. And there isn't anything you can do to earn it. It's just grace. The Lord sent his son to die for our sins. We just have to invite him into our hearts. And that sinless body through his crucifixion lives in eternity. At the peak of my panic. Jesus says, I got you. I got you. We made it out of those mountains. Made it to Norman Wells. I'll never forget when the helicopter pulled out of those mountains. Same mountains, I, was, I mean, I was just there four days ago. We pulled out, and I'm looking at the airport. Again, the same airport that we landed in when I was in a commercial airplane four days earlier. And I'm looking out the windows at the airport in the, in the runway. Man, there's uh, uh, fire trucks and police cars and ambulances all over the runway. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this must really be a bad day. A plane must have crashed too. And they set that helicopter right down the middle of that runway. And they whisked me off. Norman Wells doesn't have a hospital. They have a nursing station. And I was extremely happy to see those nurses. The nurses are on the phone with the surgeons, the doctors in Yellowknife. They're sending a medevac jet to get me. And by the way, if you use a medevac jet in Canada and you don't have insurance, they will send you a bill for almost $23,000, FYI. So they're on the phone with the surgeons getting me prepped while the medevac jet's coming. The medevac jet picks me up in Norman Wells, one of the nicest flying hospitals I've ever been on. Takes me to, takes me to Yellowknife. And I go into surgery. Surgery lasted over six and a half hours. I had 57 plus staples in my head. My hands were broken in six or seven different places on each one. More stitches than you could count. (laughs) And I'll never forget, man, I had two doctors start at my head. And you had a group of nurses that are coming in and out, bringing them all their tools that they wanted. Then you had a couple of nurses that were to the left of the bed. They were responsible for my, for, my, for my pain to make sure that I wasn't feeling anything. They were doing a tremendous job. And, and, and you're awake the whole time. And then, and, and then there's this nurse in the back right of the corner. And I'll never forget, she would be rattling off these grisly facts. A lot of them are the ones that I, I just I told you today. And she was responsible for my comfort. And she came, she'd come up to bed and she'd adjust the covers all the time. And, and she's up there and she's adjusting. She lifts those covers up over my feet and she's looking at my toes and she's like, hey, dude, what's up with your toes? <laughs> I was on morphine. I, I, I'm sure I explained it really well. And then she went back to her corner. And in the midst of one of her sentences... She paused, and she said a few words that I'll never forget. She said, when is the last time somebody came in here attacked by a grizzly bear that was alive? And it was as if the oxygen was just sucked out of that room, and there was dead silence for a minute. And I'll never forget just that instant you realize how fortunate you really were. You know, we got a picture of the 
Remember I told you there were six other hunters in this group. You can see they all got a moose. Beautiful ones at that. I always say that there's a little spot down there on the right side for old number seven. I didn't get a moose, gentlemen. I got something a lot better. I'm going to close this out in prayer. And as I do, I'm just going to ask you to just kind of get comfortable. You know, uncross your arms, uncross your feet, get your feet on the ground. I know there's a lot of things going on, and I'm just going to ask this for just to relax. And for the next minute or two, just kind of push all that stuff to the side, man. Put on, put on the, put on God's full armor that He promises us in Ephesians, and block out the devil. And let's just, let's just pray out His men tonight. I'm going to close this out. Their eyes closed and their heads bowed. I want each one of you in your mind's eye. You know, you got your, you got your eyes closed. And I want you to envision a blank canvas. Do you see it? You got that blank canvas there in front of you? And as I speak this out loud, I want you to, I want you to paint what I speak onto your blank canvas. You're a perfect Picasso, Michelangelo. You can do anything in your mind's eye. This is now you in the back of that helicopter. Do you see yourself? You're sitting sideways. You got your back against the door. Your feet, your feet are pointed to the other door. You hear the rotor blades just shoo, 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 shoo over your head. Man, you look down at your clothing. Do you see it? Shredded. Absolutely shredded. What used to be camouflage is now your blood. Take a look at your right hip, where your, your hip is in, indented into the seat. It's, it's just full of your blood, and the blood, there's nowhere for it to go, so your blood's just dripping over the top of your seat, down onto the floor. You see it? And your little spot on the floor just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Everything out the windows, take a look out the window as the mountains are just swooshing by. All those jagged rocks and the dirt and the, just the nasty looking snow, everything out there just whizzing by us. And you're just, you're just afraid that one wrong turn, you're going to be face planted in the side of the mountain. Then all of a sudden you lose consciousness. You kind of pick your head back up. And then you lose consciousness again. And you open your eyes and you ask yourself that same question. If I died right here, right now in the back of this helicopter, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I mean, I'm a great person. I do a lot of things. You have any idea how much money I give or what I do, how much I volunteer? I must be going to heaven. I come to church every Sunday. I must be coming to heaven. Well, I've been baptized. I got wet. I mean, I, I must be going to heaven. I don't know. People tell me I'm going to heaven. Do you know the answer? Do you unequivocally know the answer that there is absolutely no doubt in your mind? Do you? You know, it says in Revelation that the Father has the Lamb's book of life. 
And in the Lamb's Book of Life is written every single name of every single person that accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What I want you to envision in your mind is what do you think that that book would look like? What kind of book would God use to write down the name of every single person that accepted His Son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior? Can you see it in your mind? Can you see it rotated around? You see it now, the pages are in front of you, and if there's a lock, unlock it. You just kind of spread it open in front of your eyes. Every name is in there. It's on the, name, on the page that should have your name. Is your name in the book? Do you see your name in that book? I'm going to say a prayer out loud. And if you want to know unequivocally when you walk out this door tonight that your name is in that book and you want to see it written in that book as you pray this prayer, I'll say this prayer out loud. You just repeat it after me. Gentlemen, you would have to drag me out of here. Yeah, I would chain myself to a chair and scream and yell and holler and fight before you could get me out of this room without knowing that I'm going to heaven because I have no idea what's going to happen to my life second I walk out of here. We think we do, but we don't have a clue. Do you want to see your name written in that book? I'm going to say this prayer. Just repeat it to yourself. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, Jesus, today, I give my life to you. Jesus, please come into my heart. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I ask that you sit on the throne of my life. And show me your will for the rest of my life. Our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed. If you just prayed that prayer, no one's looking. And just raise your hand. I want to see your hands. I got you over here. I got you in the back. Leave your hands up if you don't mind. I got you here. I got you here. Leave your hands up. If you don't mind, just leave them up. Man, I got your hands up all over the place. Please leave them up. Is there anybody else? Man, I, I urge you, do not walk out of this building today. If you have any question in your mind and you just said that prayer, do not be afraid to raise your hand. Man, raise it. Because you will walk out of this building knowing that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life and no matter what happens to you, you will spend eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask those of you who have your hands up, just look up at me, I'm right here. I got you, look up at me. I got you, I got you, got you. Just look up at me if you got your hands up. I got something for you. And I'm going to ask you to boldly come forward. I want to put something in your hands. You had your hand up. I'm going to ask you to come. Come. Please, come. You had your hand up. Come on. Come on. Come on right now. Don't be shy. Come on up. There we go. Stand up here with me. There we go. There we go. Put one of these in each one of your hands. And I'll explain to you what it is in a moment. That's for you, sir. That's for you. 
anybody else. It's for you. There you go, boss. For you. For you. Stay up here. Can I give you one, Ethan? For you. For you. For you. And you, my friend. And you. For you, my friend. prayer Jesus in your heart young man let me tell you guys what this coin is let me tell you the significance of this coin and you going to heaven zero zero what this coin is is a reminder of the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you will find on the front of the coin it says bear man and on the top of it said it says if but one did you know that all heaven erupts in just sheer joy, outbursts of singing when one person accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you have any idea what heaven is doing tonight right now? Right now? Do you have any idea how upset Satan is because our, our Father in heaven drew you out and you accepted Jesus Christ? The Satan is just irate right now. And he's not going to stop firing arrows at you. He's not going to stop. On the bottom of the front of the coin, it says that the goal is $10 million. Pastor Sal and I would love to be around this planet and be used by our Father. We call it Be the Wire. I don't have the ability to say anything. I have no power. I have absolutely zero impact on whether or not you accept Jesus Christ. That is you being drawn by our Father. On the back of this coin, you'll see the bare man's shield. We're men in this group. We're men in this room. we got to be men. We gotta be warriors. You'll see a dented and damaged shield. That's my prayer. Lord, take me out with my quiver empty. I'm my dented and my damaged shield. And we've got a scripture from Galatians. I wrote it in Greek on the bottom. So if you read Greek, you won't have to look up your Bible, but I figure most of you don't, so give me a good excuse to go to your Bible. Where we all now bear the scars. Jesus. Gentlemen, gentlemen in the congregation out here, you are the church body. It's our job now to surround these men and these young boys. Teach them and show them what do we do next? What are the next steps? What's required of me? How can I learn? What are some small groups? That's our job as a church body. I'm going to close this out in prayer. And before I do, I would ask anybody in this room that knows anybody up on this stage to please come up and lay a hand on them as I close them out. You lay a hand on them, you say, man, I got you. Walk up, lay a hand on them if you know them. This is the best day of their life. Put your hand on them say, I got you. When Satan fills the, fills the sky with arrows, don't you worry, I got you. I got you. God's got you. We're your church family, I got you. There we go. That's what we do. We're men. We come together. We surround ourselves. All right, I'm going to take us out. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a glorious day. You know, Father, is just an absolute blessing to just watch you draw men, middle-aged men, higher-aged men, younger men, boys, to a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, thank you for writing the names of these men in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, I pray for this church, I pray for this church body to extend their arms and just show these men, take these men and show them what the next steps are. Get them a Bible, read with them, get them in some Bible studies and teach them. This is the Great Commission. Lord didn't say just, hey, get together and huddle around. He said, go out, go. Lord, I just pray just a double dose of blessing upon this church, upon these pastors and what they're building. Father, this is a house for you. Lord, I just, I love these men. These men are are sold out for Jesus. This room is full of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I lift every single one of these men up that gave their life to you today. What a great honor. All of heaven is erupting. And just, just beautiful singing and harps. I can only imagine the glory up there. In your name we pray. Amen. Congratulations. How about a hand for these guys, eh? Great job. You may sit. Thanks a lot. Have a seat. I got one other thing to show you guys. Then I'll get out of here and get out of your hair. You know, uh, there's a long story of how it started, but one thing I can assure you is that giving is addictive. I remember once a long time ago, I mean, when I was, when I was kind of, you know, walk my walk, and then when I would go into these little stupors and come out of the stupor, I would, you know, try to fall into the church and just stumbling all over the place. And I asked Pastor Sal one time, I said, Sal, has anybody ever, has anybody ever given so much money to the church that they filed bankruptcy? And he looked at me, he's like, man, nobody ever asked me that question before. You know, then I read in Scripture, there's only one place in the Bible where God says, test me. There's only one place in the Bible where God says, test me. There's a lot of places in the Bible where our Father says, don't test me. But there's only one where he says, test me. And that's in tithing. He says, test me. Watch me put grain in your bins like you've never seen before. Test me on this, he says. And I'm going to test you guys today. Pastor Sal and I, we, <clears throat> you know, I, love, I love to think big. I mean, the Lord gave me this, 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 when I was going down the assembly line and he was meticulously woving me, weaving, weaving me together in my mother's womb, he, he just gave me a double dose of thinking big. I don't know why. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. It has for a lot of my life. But now what I realize is that we have partnered up with some, some indigenous ministers over in Africa, specifically Uganda and Kenya. And the amazing thing is, is in Kenya... Nairobi, this, this group of men and women called Kubamba Ministries, they have access to the 10,000 schools in Kenya serving over 2 million children. Boarding schools. We're one of the only ministries allowed into these schools. 2 million children. 53% of the children who hear the gospel accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they partner with churches all over for next steps for these children. You know what the average cost per child to accept Christ is in the gospel, three bucks. Three bucks. Pastor Jeff, run the math on what your annual operating revenue is divided by the number of salvations or baptisms in this church and run the math. It's a little different than over in Africa. But every salvation counts. So what we have found out is that while we sleep, they work. While they sleep, 
We work. We can work 24 hours a day when we have partners on the other side of the planet. How we came together is an entirely different story. You can see God's fingerprints all over it. But I'm going to introduce you guys to our guys over in Kubamba. We opened up an international ministry. It's called Rough Waters. Every single dime that you donate goes overseas. Not a single penny comes out for operational costs. I don't charge anywhere I go. If I run out of money serving God, man, that, that's, God will figure it out. That's, that's not my problem. That's God's problem. He says, go, I go. If I look at the checkbook, I get freaked out. So I just try not to look at the checkbook because I believe you can't believe some of the scripture and, and, and not others. It's the whole thing or nothing. And when he says, test me, I can assure you, we're testing him. And we're seeing men and women and children and, and boys and girls coming to Jesus Christ. He's drawing so heavily right now. Ladies and gentlemen, if I could take you through a five-year journey of Bear Man Ministries and the percentage of people being drawn to a relationship with Jesus Christ over the past few years, the percentages are going off the chart. I don't know why that's none of my business, but I am telling you, our Father in Heaven is drawing right now. Right now. I don't sit around and try to figure out what he's doing. That's way above my pay grade. But I can assure you that the percentage of people being drawn to a relationship with Jesus Christ is skyrocketing right now. I'm going to ask each one of you to take a look at this video. And for $3 a month, $36 a year, on average, 18 children over there will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's 200 men in the room. If 200 men did $36 a year, 200 times 18, somebody a lot smarter than me, figure that out. That's the average. What you're going to see in the video here is when they go into the boarding schools. And because they're kids, they got the, you know, they got the, the, the attention span of a lightning bolt. They put on these skits. And they have one man who's got all the sin, all the, 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 the types of sin that are draped around his neck and these, these lanyards with signs. And then Jesus comes down and, and, and he takes all those sins away from him. And then you'll see the kids raising their hand. Those are the children that are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you participate, I would love to take you over there. It is one of the most amazing things that you've ever seen in your life. Check it out.
Our goal at Rough Waters is simple. One million people giving $3 a month. And we can impact two million children a year. I need your help. I need your help. And we have a big, hairy, audacious goal that the Lord put out there in front of us. Like, we can't do it ourselves. And I'm calling on each one of you to help us out. There's a QR code there. You can scan that. You can sign up right there. I've got a Bear Man book in the back of the building. Kind of gives you some outlines of the talk that I gave today with a few more details. In the back of that is the same QR code for the text to give, or you could sign up. We've got a box out there if you just want to throw some cash in it. That's entirely up to you. But I'm going to ask you guys for help. Because together we can impact a lot of children. While we sleep, they work. And when they sleep, we work. I've enjoyed our time together, y'all. Take care. God bless.
Stand as we close with victory in Jesus.